1: Hey, it's Lance, your host of Yesterday's Concert. Before we get this episode started, I want to take 25 seconds to tell you about my other show, Jam Journals. Jam Journals is a podcast that takes you on a journey through music history, featuring live performances from some of the most iconic concerts of all time. Each episode recounts a different concert experience through a dramatic narrative that brings the memories to life with vivid detail and emotion. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane of some of the most unforgettable concerts in recent history. James Journals is available everywhere you get podcasts. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
0: The biggest goal for Colony House is how do we put on a show and make it feel like a spectacle, while at the same time erasing this kind of imaginary line that is drawn when you go to a concert of, we are the audience and they are the performers. There's this thing that Colony House is always trying to do where by the end of the night, you feel like it's all just one thing. We're all part of the show together. And I feel like there's like this embrace that happens when you can do that with an audience, when you can invite them into the performance and not just put on a show.
1: Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Caleb Chapman, singer guitarist for Colony House. We discuss the band's dynamic live show. We also discuss how the songs from their most recent album, The Cannonballers, are energizing their live sets. So grab your earplugs, because landlocked surf rock gets loud. So I'm here with Caleb Chapman, singer and guitarist for Colony House. Caleb, how you doing today, man? Doing great. How about you? Doing pretty well. So I read in a recent interview that you were talking about uh, your perfect day in Nashville or something, and it was talking about how you love to mow your yard. Like you mow it like once or twice a week. Is that true, man? You really mow it that often? It is. I mean, part of it, especially in the spring, you got to. You have to. Oh,
0: so I... Um... I live on a little bit, not a lot of land, but a couple acres, and and so when I bought this house, I got a, a like a zero turn lawnmower, which is more or less a real life video game. It's like you got yeah, two exactly. joysticks, and so yeah, it's it's like peaceful time. It's time to think. It's time to it's honestly it's like the time I listen to the most music and kind of get yeah. like caught up on everything that's going on, and so it's just kind of a yeah, it's a nice time.
1: Uh, so, okay. So we'll jump into some icebreakers just to get to know each other, have a little fun. Uh, then we'll jump into the conversation. So my first question for you is what was your first concert? What was your first show that you asked to go to and wanted to see,
0: man, I can't remember. I can't really remember the very first one. I can remember, um, an early, like a, an early concert would have been, uh, (laughs) Everclear. (laughs) <laughs> uh matchbox 20 and i think it was i can't remember if it was rob thomas or matchbox 20 uh but he was headlining and then lifehouse was the one of three i remember nice. that was an early one i remember not too long after that lincoln park was on their meteora tour that was one that me and my brother and my dad loved that album and so that was a pretty early memory of like you know i grew up going to concerts with my dad yeah doing concerts for his job so but those were some that were like outside of his world that felt like mm-hmm. oh we gotta go see this
1: that's awesome okay so I mean kind of in that same vein for the next question I know you're a big YouTube fan uh so what do you think is their most underrated album
0: you know I I need the other guys here to really dive in yeah I feel like because I I, I yeah gosh the most underrated. I kind of feel like I just bought this on cassette, which is hilarious because I bought my I got my son a little cassette player. yeah, I don't know if this is underrated, but obviously Joshua Tree gets the oh, yeah. some of the most love. but the unforgettable fire has some pretty I, I, how is
1: that one ranked in the YouTube catalog? Is that a pretty big one? I, I mean I would assume, but it's I mean, I get what you're saying. it's not one that gets brought up a lot, especially yeah. in like comparison to joshua tree totally pride was was on that
0: album in the name of love which is like it's hard to yes. bat an eye at that anyways my other guy the other guys would be all over this question but I, i'll that's go with good. that though since i just bought that cassette and i hadn't spent much time with it maybe that's my underrated album
1: for them I like it. That's a good answer. So, what was your uh, what was your thoughts on the Songs of Innocence debacle when everyone's iPhone got a uh...
0: man? I don't know. I didn't think of it at the time. I was like, "Cool, I got a YouTube album." Because I was, yeah. I, I was down with it. I was a fan. But in hindsight, now that I'm older and wiser, you know, <laughs> it feels like a miss, you know. But I think they yeah. understand that. <laughs> yeah, I p- try to put myself in their position, and I would have totally done the same thing. Yeah. I mean, like you can put your music on everybody's iphone we will just work a deal up for that
1: yeah do that <laughs> <laughs> there was so much backlash but there was no telling how many people got introduced to youtube that day at the very least
0: totally for sure and that was before like social media norm like that was before we had kind of parameters of like hey that's kind of pushing it. That's kind of like pushing your stuff without me wanting it. Like we did, we were still figuring out the rules. I feel like exactly <laughs> of of uh, of this little smart device here.
1: Well, so the last question I have for you, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Uh, you're you're more of a rhythm guitarist in your band.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say Scott is more. We kind of share some lead parts, but I would say mostly, yeah, I'm I'm playing.
1: Okay, well, so keeping with the underrated current, who do you think is an underrated rhythm guitar player? Ooh,
0: golly. That's a great quote. Man, you're throwing me some...
1: (laughs) I'm getting all the the fastballs out of the way. We'll get to the softballs here in a minute.
0: I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'm trying to get outside of my world of just my friends that I'm like, dang, they're good, great rhythm. No, throw them out there, too. Throw them out there. Mr. John Foreman of Switchfoot is a great guitar player, and he he plays a lot of lead stuff too but he um he's a great rhythm player my dad's an amazing rhythm guitar player i'm very jealous of him gosh i want to get outside of, of my my camp though i mean gosh like dave grohl is is mm. kind of king of just like being a locked it in guitarist i think i mean that's a good he one. could probably he could play all
1: kinds of parts but as far as what he does for the Foo Fighters. Well, so, I mean, talking about your dad being a good rhythm guitar player, what have you learned from him as far as being a rhythm player? Oh, man, I, I mean, the way I learned guitar was sing and play, sing and
0: play at the same time. There's no point in learning guitar if you can't sing with it. Uh, yeah. It was kind of the Chapman methodology of playing guitar. And that comes from my grandpa who teaches guitar still to this day. And, uh, Str- you know, I, I remember... All my strum note strum. If you're a guitar player and took any kind of lesson, you probably would have heard the strum note strum kind of I don't know, method or idea. Yeah. Note being the bass note of the chord, strum being what you do. So strum, note, strum, Mm -hmm. and strummy, strum. Yeah. And I just remember I'd have I never took many lessons, like traditional lessons, but with my dad, he would write on note paper different rhythms to learn. And then as I grew up and then I actually ended up playing guitar for my dad uh, in his band. And he would say things like there were, you know, he had some of the greatest guitar players in the world playing for him at different times. And I was like, dad, mm-hmm. I can't play these parts. Some of these parts are literally outside of my ability, probably will always be outside of my ability. But then he would say there were things that I could do just with rhythm that these, some of these lead players just couldn't wrap their heads mm-hmm. up because they'd never really spent time with different rhythms it all started with rhythm guitar for me so i don't know i think there's that with your brain getting figuring out how to separate it from especially when you're singing and playing interesting rhythms it's kind of doing the you know rub your belly pat your head thing i think just like spending a lot of time figuring out how to how to separate your brain out so your hands can do things while you're while you're singing or whatever
1: Well when you're when you're writing or playing, do you gravitate more towards playing the rhythm? Is that kind of how you your brain go processes making music or just performing music?
0: Yeah, I think so. I hear I do hear lead lines, but not all yeah, it always starts with rhythm for me, generally speaking.
1: I mean kind of going into the live thing. That's what I wanted to talk about your live shows specifically for a minute because that's I got to see you guys at Live on the Green last year in Nashville. Uh that was I was aware of you guys and I had tickets to see you like four times in 2020 and we all know how that turned out. Yeah. But I was I was highly impressed with just how dynamic your live show was. I mean it was a very loud show. Uh it was a very engaging show. And so I know this is a broad question but I kind of want to start with this and narrow in is What's your approach to performing live as a band?
0: Um, I think it starts with like more so in the early days, we rehearsed all the time just to be tight. It was not about performing at all. It was just about playing the right notes and playing, and, you know, starting and stopping at the right time, making sure we're all locked in on every single beat, you know, every rest we're going to all cut out, you know, like kind of the, the basics of of rehearsing. It was the early days. And then I think you grow comfortable and you start trusting that everyone's going to take care of their business as you, everyone's lives get busier and you don't have as much time to rehearse. Now, when we go into a show, uh, you know, it's on everyone to really dial in their parts. Well, obviously, you? I, I mean, for this last tour, we spent two or three months getting ready for that tour, learning the new songs, reshaping the old ones. But we spend less time about on the dynamics and like the little, like being in sync. We spend all the time, 85% of our time on how transitions between songs, do we need a break here? Do we need three songs to just blast through those so no one gets a break? Like we're keeping them, we're pulling them in, pulling the audience in the whole time. And so having interesting ways to um, like kind of fit these songs together, you know, okay, here are all our songs in a flat. Let's put those in a little, we'll do a little a flat kind of medley here. Mm -hmm. and Then let's spend a little bit of time chilling out, give everyone a break, go down. It's all, it becomes more about the showmanship and the performance now I feel like because of the time we've spent. In dynamic land, and that still exists, but I think it's so important. I continue to challenge myself as a front man, and I know the guys do in their own, you know, positions in the band. The biggest goal for Colony House is how do we put on a show and make it feel like a spectacle, while at the same time erasing this kind of imaginary line that is drawn when you go to a concert of we are the audience and they are the performers. There's this thing that. Colonyos is always trying to do where by the end of the night, you feel like it's all just one thing. We're all part of the show together. And I feel like there's like this embrace that happens when you can do that with an audience, when you can invite them into the performance and not just put on a show, bring them into the show. So we're still figuring that out. We're not amazing. We're not, we're not a, uh, we have not mastered it, but we're, I'm, I'm, almost addicted to the equation that it is this like solving the problem of how do I make people feel connected to us and to each other. And I think that's like an inspiring thing when you go to a show and you're
2: like, gosh,
1: there's camaraderie in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a unity. Well, I think I think you're being a little hard on yourself because I, I was highly engaged in the show. It felt like everyone around me was highly engaged in the show. It seems like you're masters of it. And I do want to talk more about that, but I want to go back to what you said at the beginning about playing so precisely, but you've kind of loosened up in your approach to practice now. It sounds like, has that been more, more fulfilling as a band and as a performer to be able to loosen up and not be so focused on hitting all the right just keys and notes and everything like that? Is that is that more fulfilling to just kind of relax into the performance? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the my brother's in the band. He plays drums.
0: We've always had a good relationship, but it is far like all of our arguments came from those like nitpicky things where it's like, I wish you weren't hitting that high hat on that beat. I wish you just don't hit cymbals in general. I hate mm-hmm. cymbals. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and so, so many of our like the tension and rehearsals came from like, being picky, being obsessed, OCD like in getting everything right and a lot of that came from insecurities of just, just like not not just a way to be good. It wasn't just out of being good. it was thinking about I, I want people to think we're good. I want to be I want people's approval and obviously it's our job to practice and it's our job to put on a good show. But if it starts sucking the joy out of it, that's going to come through in a more evident way. So I think, again, it's about trust. Like everyone take care of your business. And and if something feels loose, we'll talk about it. But the joy, like the joy level skyrocketed when we just started, like specifically me just kind of took a step Mm -hmm. back a little bit and was like, take care of yourself and the rest will, you know, come and trust that the other guys are taking care of themselves as well.
1: I would imagine too that it was a little more freeing for you personally and just for each member personally to not have the weight of having to hit everything right like you probably didn't beat yourself up as much after a show because you didn't like oh I missed that cue or I was late on this start or whatever was it easier on yourself in that regard as well I think so yeah I still
0: you know I still don't watch videos of us like after Mm. shows I don't spend too much time like diving back into what we just did, because I view a live show as kind of a there's a spirit to it. And if you can't capture that on any on the best recording device on the best video camera on whatever, you just can't capture it. So I find myself getting frustrated at critiquing ourselves. I'm like, that's just not worth it. It's not worth it. I do want to I want to make sure I'm making improvements. But I feel that during the show. And I make those notes and we talk about it, you know, doesn't do my soul anything good to ruminate on that and be like, and let it kind of beat me down. There's too much joy in the, in the live moment to like, to kill it with that, you
1: know? Well, that's, you know, kind of like I was talking about, and you kind of mentioned it as well. It's just like the crowd was so engaged when I saw y'all at that one show. So my question is, how do you keep the audience in the palm of your hand for an entire I forget how long that set was, 90 minutes, two hours, how long, like, how do you keep them engaged for that entire time when our, our awareness is decreasing rapidly every day now? Oh, yeah, man.
0: Oh, it's a—it's maybe one of my biggest fears is seeing people walk out the door in the middle of the show.
1: It's, uh, it's brutal. So, like, if somebody goes to get a beer and, like, to leave the show that, like, you're aware of that, like, you consciously oh, see that and are like, yeah, for sure.
0: I, I see it. I, if I'm seeing things I don't want to see'll you'll notice I'll close my eyes a little bit more but um, <laughs> no, I, I, I encourage young artists if they ask me for advice one of my things because it's a rule for myself is don't make an enemy of the audience like you don't know the narra you make up the narrative in your head you see someone folding their arms and you're like oh they must hate it and then they're the person after the show that waits by the bus for two hours. And is like, that was the best show I've ever seen, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's, doesn't do you any good to, to make up those narratives. I do think as far as like keeping people engaged, I try to put myself in their position and I go, I try to see as many shows also as I can to like figure out like, Oh man, that was a really cool moment. How, what's our version of that? And where did that lose? Where did I start to kind of look around and, and lose interest? I mean, that it's there's so many facets like making sure you're not, we're a loud band. Like that, mm-hmm. that was something we fought about a lot in the early days. And I had to just accept, like, we're a loud band. Mm-hmm. And there's a really fine line between being a loud band and and, and that being cool and like epic, mm-hmm. and then being a loud band and it being exhausting and that's on that's on us to like find the peaks and valleys in your set where it's like all right we just blasted through 15 minutes of heavy material now we're gonna i'm gonna put an acoustic guitar on and let everyone reset a little bit Mm -hmm. just like literally thinking about it on a sonic spectrum having your sound guy locked into that and making sure there's not harsh frequencies and but yeah i mean it's it's a team effort between You've got lighting when you can get into that game, light involved where it's like, you know what? A blackout is the biggest gift to a performer where lights go down and you don't have to keep someone in the palm of your hand because it signifies we're changing scenes right now. So give us a little time, you know? And then, yeah, figuring out the things I want to ultimately, like what do I want to communicate? And then, Having that as kind of the ethos of the night is like, ultimately, what does this band want to communicate with this show? Then at that point, you're writing a, you're kind of writing a story and it, and that story will have an arc. Hopefully your show does as well.
1: One of the things that, you know, I picked up, I listened to your live album. I've seen you guys. One of the things I really picked up on too, is you have a lot of like kind of sing-along choruses as well. That really kind of brings people. Is that something that you're consciously writing? Like, oh, this will be a really great sing-along for the live show. Or is it more just... That's just kind of how you write. That's just what happens.
0: I think that's how we write. I don't think of it too much. Yeah, when I'm working on new ideas, I do think of choruses as like, man, how can this be as many voices singing? I imagine it like, oh, I could hear a lot of people singing this and that excites me. Like any chance for me to not be the only one singing the song, that's what I'm going for. So maybe it's like kind of burned into kind of what the way I write at least for Colony House not intentional but not I don't know maybe maybe it's because we're U2 fans I don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) well that's I mean one thing too about that specific I'm talking a lot about this one specific show it's all I have to draw from but you know you definitely outstaged the headliner that night I'll I'll be frank I I thought you guys put on a significantly better performance than the headliner was that night and I, I I won't say their name to throw them under the bus or anything like that but is that an approach that you guys have is to like, Hey, we're, we're not the headliner tonight, but we're going to be better than them. Or is it just, let's just give the best show regardless.
0: In a, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I think at a festival setting it's, we go and we're like, we, for the next hour or whatever slot we have, this is our stage. If we're going to blow someone out of the water, that's on them, that we're not trying, we're not trying to be better. I think we kind of think of our, We think of ourselves as just like you know we play music because we didn't want to compete you know (laughs) We, Mm -hmm. we like we're not trying to compete but we want to be a powerful band we want to have an impact and make an impression as far as that mentality i think when we're on a support tour i one of the first things if we don't know the people beforehand and we aren't on the phone with them one of the first things I make it really clear our band does is we go to the headliner and we're like, Hey, we're, su- we're the support band. How can we support you? How can we support mm-hmm. this tour? If there's anything you see or hear or, or would want, you know, like, obviously at a certain point, if someone's feels like we're too good, that's a great problem to have. We're not yeah. going to change that. <laughs> But it just as far as like the mentality of being like, I want to serve this tour so that ultimately y'all win because if you you win, we win. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Festivals, I'm not really thinking about anyone other than our band and how we have this limited amount of time with a bunch of new people. We're gonna mm-hmm. give you the best version that we possibly can. So don't I don't really think of it other than we're gonna. We kind of have to think of it as like we're gonna tear it up as yeah. best we can.
1: Well, I mean, how do you, in your own words, tear it up an entire tour like that? I mean, you guys have a very live and energetic show. So how do you Mm -hmm. sustain that energy for an entire two month run or whatever it may be?
0: Man, it's getting harder the older we get. That's for sure. But I mean, it's just like prepping like anything else. I, I really view it like maybe like athletes, not as extreme, but I do view like when I'm going on tour, I think this is my job. And how can I do my job well? I want to be able to, I don't want to be out of breath. I don't want to be out of breath on stage. So mm-hmm. like that to me is letting, not letting people down necessarily, but it's like, if I'm going to choose to jump around, I want to be ready for that. So I'm going to make sure I'm in shape before I go out on tour. I'm going to make sure I'm mentally healthy and physically healthy so that this tour can be as you know, successful as possible. And then ultimately, I think what gives us energy to do this night after night is we believe the songs. We believe there's power in music and we believe that someone can go to a concert and then leave inspired and changed and it can help them overcome something. It can help them make the next step maybe in their life. It can literally like those moments, we can all list concerts that like we've left or movies or whatever, we've left and something shifted. Like we were introduced to something new and whether it was this huge thing or really small ripple, it changed the trajectory of a life maybe. And so I think that gives us, it gives me like when I'm feeling beat up or tired, it's like, that's kind of the gas. That's like the reserve tank where it's like, if I don't feel like I am can do this, in the back of my mind, it's it then it doesn't become about me anymore it becomes about someone else
1: i had never thought of it like this but you recently posted on your instagram talking about your new album you said our songs aren't finished until we get to play them for you live and in person i've never really considered a song not done until it's performed live how much of that kind of goes into sustaining your energy over a tour i mean it could to go out and to be able to play fresh songs for fans it's
0: getting new songs in the arsenal is like
1: the breath of fresh air that
0: I think it's a challenge to keep playing the old ones when you got new ones. Uh, That's where the discipline comes in. But yeah, new songs are a gift. And that's why I think we keep writing them (laughs) for a lot of reasons, but where we play a lot of shows and to give ourselves to continue to chip away. I just feel like you're constantly refining your sound as a band when you're able to play things live something in the studio could be awesome and it could work in the studio could work over speakers and then you go play it live and it falls flat. And what an interesting dynamic that is where it's just like this one just didn't hitting and that's okay. And then you've got some deep cut mm-hmm. that no one would have ever really chosen, but live, it becomes a staple. That is to me, the power of the live show that you'll never be able to replicate or get rid of unless you're there, you know?
1: so i mean do you have like a song like silhouettes do you have difficulty still wanting to go out and play it i mean you're doing it for the fans obviously but it's like as a musician you've been playing it year over year over year is it difficult to want to play that night in and night out
0: that one's kind of unique just because people love it and it's always like Mm that you know we don't really have hit songs per se but we have songs that have like somehow kind of made a bigger impact and that's one of them that's kind of a staple for our band and so when you go into it there's the room lights up a little bit and so you definitely i feed off of that energy big time and and so i don't that's a unique one that i don't really feel exhausted by yeah we're just tweaking we always find new ways i think if you asked some tried and true ch fans like kind of what they like about our live show at least what we've heard from is like there's not a lot especially with older songs there's not a lot of the time where we'll just play it straight off the record like there's we're going to tweak it and give some new spin to it probably selfishly to keep it interesting for ourselves but we also think okay you've heard this song a million times the way it is on the record we'll give you something just a little you know we'll give you something a little new
1: well so you recently wrapped up what the first leg of your cannonballers tour is our I guess what yeah. what you have out there now. You said it was another Instagram post. You said it was one of the best you've ever done. Yeah. What was so special about it comparatively? Oh man,
0: I I one we had an amazing crew. We always have great people working with us, but this crew just like made our job so easy as performers and uh, the guys putting on the show. Like they just knocked it out of the park. So mad respect and mad props to the Cannonballers crew. You know we were playing bigger rooms at and that felt you know something that was really intentional some of those rooms would have probably had no business being in ticket wise but for the band we've made it you know we've been doing this for a long time and i think there's a point where we want to make sure people coming to our shows get to see colony house as we feel like they should get to see colony house and Mm -hmm. as much as i love small intimate club shows which we still do plenty of you're restricted by the space a lot of times and you just put on a different show in those rooms because it's a different type of energy so we were we were able to kind of bump up into some bigger rooms on this run and it just felt like people got to see a new colony house people that have seen us four or five times got to see colony house in a new light and that's the goal like continuing to show people what we can do in bigger spaces so yeah the response was amazing you know, the rooms felt good, and it just feels like we were. It was some kind of graduation of sorts into mm-hmm. a more like I don't know, a sustainable kind of touring marketplace.
1: We were kind of talking about this venue before, but you started the tour at the Ryman, yeah, which is I mean just legendary. And you, I know you guys have played there before, but this was the first headline performance y'all ever did there. How was that show,
0: man? That show was a gift for our band you know we're all born and raised tennessee boys i think you could put that venue up against pretty much anywhere and we would choose like that as the bucket list like if we Mm -hmm. could somehow work our way up to the rhyming that feels like we've done something right yeah I, i talk about concerts as like an outpouring from the stage like we give i i try to leave the stage on the verge of puking every night from how hard we get, like it feels, you know, we give a lot out on the stage that night. We gave a lot, but it felt like it was this weird phenomenon where like the crowd was giving us so much more where I felt like the tables were turned. Like we were getting more than giving and not from a lack of trying. It was just people. It was like that whole place understood how much this show meant to us. And that's the feedback I've gotten from a lot of friends that came. We were like, that was just a wild the feeling in that room was special. And like, it felt like every song ended and there would be, you know, two minutes of applause. And we just kind of stood there like, wow, who knows, <laughs> man, who knows if this will happen again, but right now it is and we're going to soak it up. So it was awesome, man. It was so dream come true.
1: I've always been on the other end of it. So maybe you can speak to this, but the thing about the rhyme in that, I suspect makes the big difference is the shape of the room. It's because, I mean, it's basically like the crowd is just right there on the stage pretty much. Whereas a lot of the rooms just go straight back. The Ryman curves so much. It's just putting you right. I mean, do you feel it's just the intimacy between the stage and the crowd in that room? Do you think that's part of it? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's just the history. I like to think that the Ryman has
0: literal roots that grow beneath the whole city of Nashville (laughs) Mm -hmm. it feels like it's just this like mystical building that is steeped in history and so you feel that on the stage and I think everyone in the room feels that same thing like this is a historic you're kind of getting you're in a museum literally Mm -hmm. and seeing it kind of breathed like there's life in it as well it'd be like you walk on a warship or something you know you tour a warship it'd be that's one thing that's really cool be another thing if you were on that warship and it was sailing across the ocean and you felt (laughs) like whoa it's it's active it's still happening i think that's what's cool about those historic venues it's like on one hand you could just walk through it and be inspired and then you get to see what you know what it does as well so
1: i don't know i could go on about the rhyme and just kind of shifting to talk about Cannonballers. Yeah. So the main thing that I want to know about is you you had you had an album come out early 2020 and then everything shut down so you didn't really get to promote that album like you intended. Yeah. How much of Cannonballers do you think was shaped by the fact that you had all this time at home? You didn't get to promote that album like you wanted to. And then this Cannonballers comes out 2 years later essentially, 3 years later. How does that how do you think that shaped the writing and creativity of this album?
0: Um, I think it was, I mean, a huge part of the album, I, as far as just the thoughts that are kind of woven throughout the record, the kind of the ideas that we chase down, you know, a lot of this album is about being home and being Tennessee boys. And I think a big part of that was being forced to be home. We had toured so much for the last 10 years. We hadn't really, we hadn't spent a whole year in Nashville since probably 2012 you know um so yeah even if we didn't realize we were being inspired by that time naturally that was the the season of writing that we had so there, all the things that were happening around us were definitely involved in that as far as ha- like comparing it to leave what's lost behind that album that came out in 2020 i think uh we that album was real kind of landscapey and a pretty conceptual, a slower burn, kind of like you Mm. had to, I think you appreciate that album most if you can give it the time to start at the beginning and listen all the way through. I think with this album, we were intentional to not do that. We wanted to, we want it to feel obviously consistent and like it had a thread through all the songs, but ultimately we wanted you to be able to press play on any track and it just feel like, Oh, cool. This is a great song. Uh, it didn't, it wasn't in tandem to something else on the album. So if leave what's lost behind was long winded and it kind of has negative connotations, but it was just, we really expounded on ideas and, and on that one, this one's pretty concise, you know, consolidated, simple rhetoric trying to be a little bit more. Yeah. Just a, a little more, uh, to the point, with lyrics and and musically as well. The songs are short. It wasn't in, that wasn't intentional either. I just we put this album together and we're like, dang, pretty pretty quick album, short songs.
1: You have a press release on your website that talks about it and basically describes the album as twofold part, signifying carefree days of childhood versus like looking at the rearview mirror of your life. Mm. The thing that I noticed when I listened to Cannonballers is it seems like a part like definitely like a record like there's two sides to it. Yeah. Like I think it's around like everything the tone really shifts. Yeah. It, was that an intentional decision to do it like that? To sequence it like that at least?
0: It, yeah, sequencing for sure. Once the songs were finished, it was obvious that there was Yeah, you know, I kind of think of them like uh, yeah, as landlocked and surf rock. There's like the back half is more landlocked, first half's a little more surf rock, more energy mm-hmm. and then a little more like weight. It wasn't intentional in the writing. I think Colony House has a little bit of this duality to it where there's this real organic kind of earthy thing that we do uh, that fits a little bit more in singer-songwriter space with big production. And then there's the kind of indie rock side of Colony House. And we can't really figure out uh, which one we like more. So we just do them both. And, and somehow it's may, maybe that's our sound. I don't know, but this album felt like it had that same thing. I, I thought it felt a lot like our first album when I was younger in that way, where there was this real youthfulness to the front half. I try to think of it as a com I've said in the past is like a conversation where it's like, you don't start really with the heavy stuff in a conversation. If you're just meeting someone, uh, or even if you're seeing someone you hadn't seen in a while, you kind of start with the basics and Mm -hmm. hey how are you man it's been a long time gosh tell me what's good and then Mm -hmm. if that's going well then you get to the tell me what's not going good and that feels like it comes later in the conversation so we kind of view our music that way where it's like we want to establish a rapport and a friendship and then uh if we can build that trust then maybe you'll let us go a little deeper with you and that would be the back half of the album
1: well, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. The the first half definitely feels like when I was younger than the second half definitely feels more like leave what's lost behind. At least the the conceptual journey yeah. that that album takes you on at least. So that's what I was thinking that. So I guess my my last question as we kind of wrap up is how do you feel these songs are translating live for you now?
0: Oh, they're best and quickest transition into the live world for these songs. I I think. I mean, we were mm-hmm. we were I think pleasantly surprised with how they were being met with out on the road like people were seem to you know you i always struggle being like guys we're playing all of our new songs we have three other albums we should probably consider and it's like yeah but there are new songs this is the cannonballers tour we should be playing the cannonballers and uh it gets a little more difficult when you don't have obvious hits that are like well we gotta play these for everyone for us it's been like we we have awesome fans that really listen to all of our songs and they probably prefer the deep cuts. So, it gets a little tricky, but yeah, the abbreviated answer to your question is it's been awesome, really encouraging to see these songs take on a live, you know, a life of their own live.
1: Well, that's killer. Well, Caleb, thanks so much for talking today. I I highly encourage everyone Cannonballers is a great album. Your live show is one of the top ones out there on the market today, I would say. High energy, go in with great expectations because they will be met. Uh, So thanks for chatting today, man. I appreciate it.
0: Same, man. I really appreciate it.
1: I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasting, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football